Well, thanks, Jen, and good morning, everyone. And thanks to Chelsea, too, for telling us this story and keeping it in, in the front of our minds as we think about where our treasure is. I heard a story some time ago about a rich man who was on his deathbed. His doctors had only given him a short time to live, but he had some unfinished business in his life connected to his money. And so he called three of his closest friends into the hospital to meet with him. He wanted to uh, talk through some things with them. So he called, uh, he asked for his pastor, his doctor, and his business partner. And he said to them, you know, he said, guys, I've been doing a lot of thinking in here. And I know everybody says that you can't take money with you. You can't take your stuff with you. But we don't really know that for sure. And just in case, you know, this might be helpful to me in some way. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get, I have three envelopes here and each envelope has $100,000 in it. I'm going to give that money, you know, one envelope to each of you. And what I'd like you to do is uh, at, at my funeral, or what, yeah, when my funeral, when, when there's the viewing, I want you to come along and slip that envelope into my jacket pocket. And then I'll just have it with me and, you know, it, just in case. Uh, we, we just don't know, but, you know, we'll see how it works out. And um, so they agreed, and he said, you know, I, I wasn't sure who to ask and who to trust, this, who, who I could trust, but you three are the, the ones I most trust. So they, so they agreed, and they accepted this assignment from him, and sure enough, the doctors are right. He didn't have a lo- long life after that. He passed away, and at the funeral, the three men, fi- you know, they took their turn at the viewing. They filed by, and they each, in their turn, slipped the envelope in the man's jacket pocket, and, uh, you know, they, they went through the service and afterwards as the three, the three of them happened to you know, sit together at lunchtime and they were reminiscing about their friend. They were telling stories and uh, remembering. And at a certain point, the doctor looked at the other two and he said, you know, guys, I, I loved our friend, but I have to tell you, I, you know that my medical clinic has been struggling. We have some expensive equipment we needed to repair and we just haven't had the money to do it. And I'm sorry, but I kept $20,000 out and I only put 80000 in. I, I just, you know, I just felt like I needed to tell somebody that, but that's really a lot of money, and I think, you know, if it happens that he can use it, he'll still have plenty. And the both the other two looked at him, and they went on, and eventually the pastor came clean, too. Hopefully, your pastor would eventually come clean. And he said, you know, he said, our church has also been struggling. Uh, we've really had trouble making ends meet, and we just haven't been able to fund any special projects, and we just, I just saw this as an opportunity, and he said, I you know, God forgive me, but I kept out $50,000 and I put $50,000 in. And the third guy, the business partner said, I can't believe you guys. This, our friend trusted you. He trusted you. He he called us specifically because we were the three people he trusted. He said, the moment he gave me that money, I put it in the bank because I didn't know how long he was going to live. This morning, I wrote him a check for the whole amount, (laughs) for the whole amount. And when he cashes it, he'll have all $100,000 that he entrusted me. So money, money does funny things to us, doesn't it? You can't see from the back, but this isn't $100,000. Um, but you know, the truth is that money doesn't actually do anything to us. Money is an inanimate object. It's, it's a thing, right? But what it can do is it can reveal, it can reveal who we are, reveal what's inside of us. Reveal where our treasure is, especially, especially if you come to a point in your life where you have too little or if you have too much. Especially in those situations, money seems to remove the barriers that we have that keep us from expressing what's really inside. 
And that's why many people who suddenly come into big money spend it foolishly because they were unprepared. They just were not prepared to, to, to know what to do with that much money. And I have to tell you, uh, I have wrestled with God over the years about why I didn't have more money to work with at various times, especially when our kids were young and we, we just couldn't save any money. I really hated uh, living hand to mouth for a season of life where I could, we couldn't save any money. And I remember really wrestling with that and struggling with that. But, you know, as I've gotten older, I've wondered if that might not be God's mercy to me in some ways. Because I'm not sure I was prepared for big money either. I think it might have just allowed me to be more selfish than I already was or to maybe to move deeper into selfishness, to be more uh, self-absorbed, to be more proud than I already was. You know, if, sin, if the sin of pride is an exaggerated focus on myself, the sin of greed, Jesus says here in uh, verse 15, guard against every kind of greed, he says. If pride is the sin of focusing too much, an exaggerated focus on myself, greed is an a- exaggerated focus on money or on stuff, on my money, on my stuff. The Bible talks about greed in that way, an exaggerated focus on my money or on my stuff. And we have the, a greedy person has the, the attitude or the behavior that it's all about money or it's all about my money. Greed is, in that sense, a kind of hunger for money. It's like a hunger that you have for things. Let me just brief time out there. If you immediately thought of another person, you're missing the point, okay? Today, we're talking about your heart and your attitude about money. There probably are greedy people around you, but that's not who I'm talking to this morning. I don't think that's who Jesus is talking to here. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. Well, it's not surprising that Jesus had something to say about greed, as we heard in this story. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And at the end, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or as, we, as in the New Living, there the desires of your heart will also be. I think it immediately raises the question of what is a treasure? What is your treasure? What does that mean? What is he talking about? Well, I think our treasure is whatever you highly value. Whatever you highly value. You know, your attention, your devotion, your passions, the things that you think about when you're daydreaming, that's what your treasure is. You're focused on whatever you highly value. It's the thing that comes to mind when you think, what, what, when you think about in during, what you think about during your free time. Or what you, you might say, what is what you want more of? What is it that you want more of in your life that you think you need more of to be happy or to be satisfied? Maybe for some of us, it's our clothes. I mean, you can tell it's my, you know, for me, it's, you can tell that. No, but some, some of us are really concerned about fashion. That's what we think about all the time. Others of us, maybe it's our entertainment. It's the, the video games that you play or the TV shows that you watch. And you just, wanna, you just want more of that. And you think, oh, that'll make me happy. Or for some of us, maybe it's what other people think of me. I care so much about what other people think about. I'm looking for ways to impress them or I'm looking for ways to get more attention. And for some of us, for some of us, that focus, that treasure is money or stuff. We're always thinking about the next thing I can buy, the next thing that's gonna make me happy. And so Jesus here says, watch out. It's a warning, watch out, be careful. Life is not, he says, about having lots of stuff. 
I think what he means when he says that is that that's not what's going to make you happy. The meaning of life is not to get more stuff. It can be fun to do that. If you know, you know that if you've, if you've gotten something new, it's fun to have a new thing, whatever it is. But eventually the, the, the gloss sort of wears off and it becomes pretty familiar. In verse 19, Jesus says, life is not about being more comfortable. You're not necessarily going to be happy because you're more comfortable. Verse 20 says, life is about being rich toward God or having a rich relationship with God is what he points us to. Verse 30, he says, if you seek his kingdom first, if you seek his kingdom above all else, he will happily provide you with what you need, with your daily living needs. And finally, he says, remember that where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. That's where your passion, your devotion is going to be. And as I said, what you do with your money is going to reveal to yourself and reveal to God where your treasure is, where your treasure is, where your heart is, what you're focused on. You know, I learned a life lesson about this when I was 19 years old. When I was 19, my parents, um, well, they still have. When I was 19, one of my parents' rich friends who had a lot more money than we did uh, came to visit us. And she came in her car, which was a big boat of a car, it was a Cadillac, a 1970s Cadillac. And if you were around then, you know that uh, the automakers made some big boats of cars back then. And uh, so this friend was visiting us one evening, and I needed to run an errand, and my car was parked in or unavailable. And my car was a, one of the early Toyota Corollas. I loved that little car. It was small. It had manual transmission, manual steering. I don't know if you can get those things anymore. I think you can get manual transmission, but maybe not manual steering. But as a result, I was not familiar with power-assisted steering, nor with um, automatic transmission. But I was a pretty experienced driver, so I borrowed my, friend, my parents' friend's car and was kind of excited to drive, you know, opportunity to drive a car that was nicer than what I was used to. Um, but as I was I didn't realize how effortlessly a power-assisted steering could steer this big boat of a car, and I got distracted as I was driving. I looked to my right at one point, and my, I was driving one-handed because I was a driver. You know, I knew how to handle this vehicle. And my, my hand drifted a little bit to the left. In my Corolla, it would have moved me this far. In, a, in the Cadillac, it moved me this far. I crossed the yellow line and had a head-on collision, and I totaled, I totaled this car. I was devastated. I, I was just sick about it. I had ruined, totaled my parents' friends. It wasn't even my parents' car. It was my parents' friend's car. But you know what she said? Obviously, she, she wanted to know that I was okay. But the next thing that she said when she heard about it was she said, it's just a car. I can get another one. It's just a thing. I can get another one. And the life lesson for me in that is, well, well I have to tell you, I have to confess to you, she never did loan me your car again after that. But... <laughs> She learned a life lesson too. Don't loan Carl your car. Uh, but the life lesson I learned is, you know, I, I had always thought that rich people were all about their stuff and that rich people were greedier than I was because they, they had all this stuff and they were concerned about it. But I learned that I was actually greedier in the sense that I was more focused on the stuff than my parents' wealthy friend was. To her, it was just a car. It was a thing. And she could easily afford to replace it. She wasn't as attached to her stuff as I was. I've never forgotten that. That's still a vivid story for me. But as we talk about this, maybe you're you're wondering how you would know if you're greedy. How do I know if I'm a greedy person? How do I know if I'm meeting this definition uh, that I'm greedy, that I'm, I'm obsessed with the things that I own? Well, 
Ask yourself, are you living for your stuff? Are you hungry for money? Are you hungry for more stuff? When you think about what you want more of, is the the way you fill in that blank mostly about money and stuff? Or maybe more practically, do you ever tell, do you ever misrepresent yourself so that you get a discount somewhere? Like, do you ever pretend that you're a senior citizen when you're not, or a student when you're not? Because there's a discount connected to that. Or do you ever find a way to get yourself into a handicapped parking spot? Maybe you still have a handicapped uh, uh, placard or something from when you were injured and you still keep using it because you can park right up front. Or when you get home and you realize that you brought home something that the cashier didn't scan, what do you do with that? Do you just keep it and think, ah, it's a big place, they made a mistake, too bad for them? Or do you take it back? I, tell you, I will tell you that when you do try to take it back, it's a little confusing for the customer service people. They're not quite sure what to do with you. But nonetheless, are you attached to your stuff? Another question, do you gamble? Do you gamble either in person or online? Probably that's a sign that you're reaching for stuff and for money. Do you go into debt to buy things you can't really afford? Are you going deeper into debt because you're reaching for stuff that you can't really afford? If you have employees, are you paying them as little as you can afford? Or are you paying them as much as you can afford to? Or are you somewhere in between? I think Jesus gives us two specific ways that we can guard against greed in this passage. Two, two specific ways that we can be on our guard against greed. Or we might say two habits you can develop to keep greed at bay in your life. And some of you are already well on your way with these things, so this will be a reminder. And for some of you, maybe these will be new habits that the Holy Spirit's going to invite you into this morning. The first one, the first one is to cultivate a habit of contentment, to grow in being content. Jesus says in verse uh, 29, he says, don't be concerned about what to eat or what to drink. And then he says, don't worry about such things. Don't worry about such things. Or in the NIV, don't worry about it. I think he's talking about contentment there. We, we follow the one, the Lord Jesus, who said he had no place to lay his head. Remember he said that one time, the Son of Man has, doesn't have a place to lay his head. I don't think he meant that he never sleeps or that he never had a night of sleep. I think what he meant was he didn't own a house. He didn't own a lot of stuff. As far as we know, he only owned the clothes that he, that he wore. And there was, but there was never any indication that he was hungry for money or for stuff in his life. And I believe that if we'll let him, the Holy Spirit will change us so that we think and act more and more like Jesus did and become people who are content. I think for most of us, when we get a raise, we spend it, right? When, when we get extra money, we spend it. We raise our standard of living. So most people who get a raise will go out and buy something like a, a bigger TV or um, a, a nicer car, or they'll take their family on a cruise or take their family to Disney. There's nothing wrong with any of those things specifically. And especially like maybe you bought a bigger TV because you worship with us online and you want a more immersive experience. We're all, we're, that's okay. You want to do that. Um, the problem is that there's no limit on how much money you can spend if you always spend the raise that comes your way. And you could find that your, the, your cost of living goes up and up and up because there's always a bigger, nicer, better version of anything you have. And I'm not saying it's, ever, it's, ever wrong, it's always wrong 
to buy the bigger, nicer thing. I'm just telling you that there's no limit. No matter how, how nice the thing is you buy, I promise you there's a nicer one. There's a fancier one. There's a bigger one. There's a more impressive one beyond that. You know, people in their early 20s probably can't imagine how they would spend $75,000 if they make that this year. But some of us probably couldn't make ends meet, couldn't cover all of our bills if we only made $75,000 this year. That's because our expenses grew. We increased the amount of money that we need. And eventually what happens is you cross a line where your life is driven by what you, by those things, by those commitments, by what we want, what we think we need. What we think we need keeps growing and expanding. Did you know that many professional athletes go bankrupt in retirement? I just think that's amazing. I mean, you and I might wish that we had the salaries of even the average professional athlete who gets paid, you know, a million dollars or more a year. I think I could handle that. I think by special, you know, vote or something, I could handle that, I think. Um, But you know what? Several years ago, the Toronto Star did a research on this and said that 60%, it's hard for me to believe, but 60% of retired NBA players go broke within five years after their NBA paychecks stop coming in. 60%. That's incredible. Some of you will remember boxer Mike Tyson, who's now retired and has been for some time, but he is reported to have made over $400 million in his boxing career. But he had to declare bankruptcy several years after he stopped boxing. How does that happen? Why is that? Well, it's just very simply because there's always a bigger, nicer, more expensive version of what you have or the things that you want. And eventually your appetites grow to where they can run you into bankruptcy. So I think the question in this first habit is, are you at peace? Are you peaceful in your current financial situation? Have you found a way to live within your means so that you can be content Realizing that you may not have everything you want, but being grateful for the things that you have. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Can you say with Paul who says in Philippians 4, I have learned to be content whatever my circumstances I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or in want. And then he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can be content through him, through the power of the Holy Spirit at work within me. He's the one who gives me strength. Paul can say that because he is doing what Jesus told us to do here, which is to seek the kingdom of God above all else and trust him to give us everything we need, trusting God to take care of his daily living needs. So the first habit I want to commend to you is contentment, to grow in contentment. The second is to cultivate a habit of giving, of giving money away. Jesus says in uh, verse 33 in the New Living, he says, sell your possessions and give to those in need. Or in the NIV, it says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. It gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. You know, we follow the one who gave up everything 
for our redemption. Jesus gave, the Lord Jesus gave up his privileges, gave up all the power, all the advantages of being God. He gave those things, set them aside to achieve our redemption. And that's why Paul says we were bought with a price, not just the price of his life, although that is an incredible price to pay. We were also bought at the price of all of what it cost Jesus to get to that point. And in one of his letters, uh, 2 Corinthians, when challenging his audience about money specifically, Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, though our Lord Jesus Christ was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. For your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Through the poverty of our Lord Jesus Christ we have become rich. Regular generous giving is probably the most important habit you can cultivate to keep greed at bay in your life. It's a very important habit for those of us who are followers of Jesus because we give regularly, we give generously for the sake of our own souls, (laughs) for the sake of our own souls, not because the church needs the money or because another organization needs money, although, yeah, that's part of the motivation, but we give regularly and generously for the sake of our own souls And let me say it more bluntly. If you're not giving, and this isn't me saying this, if you're not giving regularly or generously, you probably are struggling with greed in some some measure in your life. Because you're, you're trusting your own earning power. You're trusting your own ability, your money, more than you're trusting God. Giving our money away on a regular basis and giving it away generously is important because it makes two statements. It makes two important statements to God And we hear ourselves make this statement or we sense ourselves making these statements every time we give. And the first one is that we're acknowledging that everything we have is a gift from God. Chelsea said that this morning. Everything we have, we acknowledge everything we have is a gift from God. And so my giving some of it back is a way of saying, Lord, this is a representation of all of what you have given to me. And I acknowledge that by by this giving, by this money that I'm giving. And I'm grateful I'm grateful for what you've given. I acknowledge this gift and I'm grateful for it. And the second statement it makes is a statement that we trust, I trust you, God, to provide for me next week. I could hold on to this as a, as a part of my provision for next week, but by giving some of this away, I'm saying to you, and I'm reminding myself that I trust you to keep it flowing, (laughs) that you've given me the, the, all of what I have, you've given me and I trust you to keep doing that, to keep providing for me. To, I trust this, this instruction that Jesus gave us to seek the kingdom of God above all else. And it says, you will give me everything I need. You will care for my daily living needs. <clears throat> so I think if you're not giving regularly, if you're not giving generously, it probably means you're not fully convinced of those two truths or you're not in the rhythm of making those statements to God and to yourself. And let me just say, too, that uh, the details of what this looks like are going to work out differently in, each, in different situations, especially if you're living in poverty or if you're living on a fixed income. The details of what this looks like are going to look a little different in, your, in, that se- in those seasons of life. But by some definition, in some way, find a way to be giving on a regular habit, as I said, for the sake of your own soul. I have to confess, this is something that I've struggled with a bit. I, uh, like I told you earlier, I remember the lean years when uh, we didn't really have a lot to work with. And so when our income goes up or when we have extra money come in, I want to I 
use it to patch the holes in our financial story. I want to save it. I want to fund a special project, something we couldn't quite afford. But I happen to be married to somebody who I'm convinced has the gift of giving uh, because her notion is that if we have extra money come in, we weren't expecting it anyway. And so we should give it away. You know, uh, I see some of you nodding. So some of you are with her on that. You know, we weren't, we budgeted to live on a certain amount of money this year and oh, some extra came in. That maybe we, that's God's testing us or God's giving us an opportunity to just give it away, to be generous with other people. So we've had some long conversations about what extra, what to do with extra money. And we, in the end, as probably many married couples do, we ended up, we ended up doing some of both, right? So we do, we do keep some of it, uh, but then we give away a higher proportion of it than we uh, ordinarily do with our regular income. <clears throat> in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, Pastor John Piper tells a story, uh, a true story about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs when he was 59 and she was 51. They moved to Florida where they bought a 30-foot boat. They play tennis and they collect seashells. And their life there revolves almost entirely around those three things, about boating, playing tennis, collecting seashells. And Piper says, Picture that couple standing before Christ on Judgment Day and saying, Lord, Lord, look what we did with our, our prime, the, the prime years of our lives. Look at this beautiful boat we bought. Look at these trophies we won in our tennis tournaments. And look at this beautiful collection of seashells we accumulated. And he says, what, what a tragedy. What a tragedy that would be. I lost some of you there. But the problem is not in any of those things in specific, is it? I mean, the problem isn't that they retired early. Good for them. The problem isn't that they moved to Florida, right? I mean, somebody needs to live in Florida. And if you're watching from Florida, God bless you. <laughs> We're not, they moved to, that's not the problem. The problem isn't that they bought a boat. The problem isn't that they love to play tennis. The problem isn't that they enjoy the beauty of seashells. No, the problem is that those things were their treasures. That's what the focus of their life was. Their whole life was devoted to those three things. Leaving no time or concern for people who were less fortunate than themselves. No thought for the mission of God, for the place in which they were. What's God doing in us, through us, around us? No concern about that. It's, I mean, it's a pretty direct parallel to verse 19 that says, my friend, you have stored enough away for years to come, right? In Luke 12 is basically talking about a retirement account, right? This guy's saying, I've built up a huge retirement account. And so I think what I'll do is I'll take it easy. I'll eat and drink and do the things that are fun for me. Do the things I enjoy doing. Again, there's nothing wrong with doing the things you enjoy doing. God made you a certain way to enjoy certain things. The question is, where is your focus and are you tuned in to God's call? Are you living mostly for yourself? Or are you living mostly for God? As I said, maybe some of you are already growing in contentment, already well along in giving. I know that uh, in our congregation, we have people who are very generous givers. And maybe, that, maybe that's you. But as I said, maybe this is a beginning point for some of you. Maybe the Holy Spirit today is saying... These are two habits that I, I, I want to develop more fully in your life, a habit of being content. 
a habit of giving regularly and generously. So I invite you to consider those things, but I also want to give you two very specific steps you can take this morning if you want to do a greed check in your own life. And I have to tell you, I I did some online searching. I thought maybe I could give you a a really lovely 10-question quiz that I could point you to, but I was disappointed in the ones that I found. Um, I didn't take the time to make my own, so you'll have to make do with these two. But I think these are going to help. Two specific steps you can take to apply this teaching. The first one is to ask someone who knows you well, would you say that I'm too focused on money and things? Simple question. Now, don't ask your buddy who's really too focused on money and things because he's going to say, no, you're not. Ask a wise, a wise Christian, somebody whose who's, who's, uh, insight you trust, would you say that I am too focused on money and things? And the second step would be to figure out what proportion of your income, what percentage of your income you gave away last year. Figure out what, what proportion, what percentage of your income you gave away last year. This is the time of year where that should be easier to do because we all just got our statements from employers at the end of the year. You can look back and see how much you gave away. Whatever that number is, I'm going to invite you to just take that to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, was this generous for me? For who I am and in my situation, was I generous in my giving? And do your own reflecting on your own priorities and your own goals as to whether or not your giving was regular or generous last year as you seek to develop a habit of contentment and a habit of giving. Let me just pray and ask God to give us the grace to step into this more fully.